My name is Jared Barron, and I am the CEO of the Metals Company, and we're all about opening up a new supply of battery metals in the form of polymetallic nodules. And we've identified around 1.6 billion tons of these that sit on the ocean floor on two of our license areas, about a thousand miles off the coast of Mexico in the Pacific Ocean. And that's enough nickel, copper, cobalt, and manganese to build around 280 million mid-sized EV batteries on an NMC 811 chemistry. So it's a very large resource. Uh, we've been at it for over a dozen years. These nodules were first discovered way back in the 1870s. In the 1970s, they started to collect them. They built the technology that went 4,000 meters below sea level to collect them and Rio Tinto build a processing plant. But of course, 50 years ago, the regulations did not exist. And so the United Nations stepped in to stop them and that's the exciting thing about this very moment in time. The final piece of the regulatory regime is about to fall into place, which means that this resource is about to be open to business. So it's an exciting time. You can talk. <laughs> 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 that was spooky, spooky, spooky. I think I, I just spoke to you over at a conference, you know, to get dry JRVX. I remember Mark Day, and I know Marilyn spoke with one, one of your team a couple of weeks ago. But I think Marilyn came back to bouncing and saying, I think this thing's actually going to happen. Right. So, and that's a kind of big sea shift from when we first spoke, because I think those conversations full of emotion and all of that kind of conversation and rhetoric and obstacles and, you know, things that could get in the way of a rational business. You've moved it quite a ways down the track using your science-based arguments mm -hmm. and, and facts about how you're going to do this and meltdowns and ecosystems and feed into a, a system which wants what that is. So it looks like a lump of coal, but it's not. <laughs> How's that break breakdown? What's it? I know what's it there for. How's the breakdown? It's 30% manganese, right? 1.3 to 1.4% nickel, 1.1% okay. copper and about 0.2% cobalt. So it's a hydroxide. If you put all of that into nickel equivalent, we're about 3.2% nickel equivalent. So, okay. Yes, yeah, so magnitude order bigger yeah. than some of the assets that are being contemplated to development at the moment. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and we need bigger, we need, we need scale, and we need to see. So, let's just talk about how you've moved from what I first saw to where you are today in terms of uh, you know, the objection handling side of things. Mm -hmm. I think the, the biggest thing, obviously, clearly was the, economy, the emotional component. So, you have to break that down how? Well, I put it into three boxes, actually. I'd say, firstly, we had to attract a team of people that were very mission aligned. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> when I took over running the company in 2017, I assembled a team out of the oil and gas industry, out of the mining industry, out of robotics, and we put together a really mission aligned group of people. And I'm happy to say that team of people are stuck through thick and thin. And then in the other box, I put partners because it's complex, right? These are 4,000 meters below sea level. And as anyone in the mining industry knows, processing is really another big challenge. So what we did is we went and bought partners in. 2019, we invited all seats. Many people won't know them. They're a private company, uh, Swiss-based, but out of uh, Holland. And for 37 years, they've been laying pipe in the deep ocean for the oil and gas industry. And so they wanted to move into this business of helping to pick up nodules. And so they had been building our first production system. And last year, we were on the water for six months testing it. Uh, we, it was a great success at every, uh, at every 
angle. And we brought home around 3,000 tons of nodules uh, to do that. We also acquired the Hidden Gem, which was a, a former drill ship that was a $700 million asset in 2011. They bought it for less than $50 million, converted it into our first production asset, built the robot, built the vertical transport mechanism, and then put it to test. And of course, um, we had we tried to achieve that by ourselves, well, it's unlikely it would have been the success that we saw last year. We blow the capital structure out of the world. We totally so Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, as I've always said, we don't want to own boats. We don't want to own production vessels because there are other companies out there who really like owning them, who are really good at managing them, and who in return for long-term contracts will put those assets to work. And the same with the onshore processing. We recently announced that we've been working with a Japanese company, Pacific Bells, and since 1965, they've been processing nickel ores. And the good news about this is we completed our onshore pilot processing work over the last few years. Um, they behave very analogously to nickel ladder rats. Mm -hmm. And so this particular facility in Japan uh, has been processing nickel ladder rat ores for decades. And of course, if you know anything about nickel ladder rats, a lot of them are in equatorial range. They're all in equatorial range for us. And Indonesia has banned the export. And so some of these processing facilities could become orphaned. And so for us, it was a perfect match. And they know a lot about the processing side. And secondly, they're looking for a new feedstock. And what we've um, been are in the final throes of negotiating now is that tolling agreement that will allow us to send our nodules to Japan where they'll be processed and will produce a, a very high grade manganese silicate product that will achieve 100% of the payables for, will produce an alloy material containing the nickel, copper, cobalt, and, and that will basically, we hope to get about 70% of the payables on that product for no capex. Yeah, so that's a bit of a game changer. And then finally on the environmental side, you're right, it's been a big focus of our company and you know, we often hear that we don't know enough, enough about this part of the planet, that we know more about the moon than we know about uh, the ocean. That's categorically wrong. In this one little part of the ocean, the CCZ, we know a lot about it. We have 180,000 square kilometers of bathymetric survey data. We've just uploaded, in the process of uploading 200 terabytes of data that we've gathered over the last years, down to the granularity of box cores where we've gone and collected parts of the seafloor and studied the organisms and recorded them and people are going to be blown away with the science and of course that's our effort and we've been leading the charge on behalf of the industry for the past decade in this area but there are many other contractors and what we're now doing is gluing together our data and their data so we can get more of a a landscape picture and put to bed the argument that we don't know enough about this and so far so far, all of the science that is coming in is in line with our expectations and very encouraging to the thesis that we can dramatically reduce all of the impacts of, of collecting and turning these rocks into battery metals compared to the land-based alternatives. Right. Things like reducing CO2 emissions by more than 90% when you build a battery cathode from this compared to land-based. Things like zero tailings and zero waste so obviously, as we, we start to release more of that data this year, and then ultimately when we lodge our application with the regulator, that will put people's minds at ease, I believe. Okay, 
great. You've answered the question you wanted to answer. I like that. So the emotional bit you can end up with at the end, and I think you've sort of, I mean, hit several of the talking points uh, as well in terms of the, the technical and some of the financial. Do you mind if I then skip through and get a bit more detail on the financial? You talk about, clearly it's a massive capex. If you as a company were trying to do it itself, it would, you, you, you couldn't. There'd be, there'd be nothing, nothing after the company. So you've got a couple of JVs in there. Will there be additional JVs, additional monies come from outside partners where you're kind of splitting up the prize? Or the size of the prize that I want to talk about. If, if I take everything you said is true, because we had enough conversations about the different aspects of the business, I'm going to say, right, if all of the things you said are true, what is the size of the opportunity? And how do you go about funding that? Who do you need in place to do that? What's the timing? And the end game is getting these things off the surface of the of the seabed up and, and processed on, on land. So how does all that come together? And what do you what do you think the potential is for you and you know current shareholders? Well, it's about protecting the equity. You're right. I mean, if we went down a path of wanting to build our own boat, of wanting to build our own processing plants, there'd be no company left. And we had to do that when we um, constructed our first preliminary economic assessment because we hadn't done those deals. We hadn't done a deal with all seas. We hadn't done a deal with the onshore processing. And so we envisaged um, the cost. In fact, we went out to market to cost building a processing plant and also a, um, a fleet of production vessels. And it was going to cost about $7 billion. And so the first block that we developed, we know it as NORI Area D, it's about 22% of our defined resource. When we published our PA, had a, an NPV around $6.8 billion. That was after we paid for all the uh, CapEx to construct. Now, it's very sensitive to commodity prices. If we punched in today's commodity prices, which many people think are quite depressed, that NPV is in excess of $14 billion, still allowing for the fact that we would have $7 billion of CapEx. But what we've shown the market is that we don't have to spend that money because we can do creative deals like we've done with all seas. We can be creative on the onshore processing by finding assets or processing plants that are underutilized or that can take our feedstock. We'll sacrifice a little bit of margin, but the fact that we don't have to spend capex to get there is just a phenomenal outcome. And so, you know, one of the, the great things for TMC shareholders is that we have one class of shares, and they're the, the, they're the class of shares that I own, that all of my executive team and, and every person in the company owns. And if you go and buy stock on NASDAQ at TMC, you own the same class of shares as us. So protecting the equity is of paramount importance. And so we're going to continue to grow that business because let's say $14 billion NPV, and that's only 22% of our defined resource. So that's, that's a big number. And our job is to make sure that we can tap into as much of that as we can for the benefit of our shareholders. And it's not just our shareholders. There are other stakeholders because we also share a lot of benefits with our, our developing nation sponsor. And in the case of Nori, it's the nation of Nauru. We also will pay billions of dollars in royalties back to the regulator, to the International Seabed Authority. And UNCLOS was really clear what should happen to those royalties. They should be distributed to developing nations, particularly landlocked nations. So there's a lot of reasons to get this right. There's a lot of people that could benefit, as well as having the lowest impact on our environment and on the people living on it. I get that you've got to do it the right way, 
clearly not, your land-based peers are going through the same issues. You're you're going to be doing this like where you've definitely got your own set of set of issues and challenges that you you've faced, and you've so far navigated your way through those. Sometimes getting a bit stuck in something, and sometimes working your way through it. But you are where you are, which seems that you've got a lot of people on board supporting this. So all good stuff. But what is a big destroyer of value was a big destroyer of capital was time. So you've been out a long time. How? What are we looking forward to? What, what, what's the date we're looking forward to for some kind of exit? Like some kind of moment where you go, I can see revenue coming to near term revenue as one. Maybe the addition of a large bar partner is another kind of form for, of um, value creation. How do you see the path forward? What's the time frame? Yeah, and why should people who are not in the story today think this is a good time to get on to? Well, consistent with our mission to protect equity, um, there is no doubt, and we've told the market this, that we are talking to parties about investing at the asset level. Mm -hmm. And the good news is we already have our first production vessel. People can see that and go to metals.co and see the hidden gem that we used uh, on our license area last year, and that is having sort of uh, modifications made to it so it'll be production ready. And that vessel will be able to handle the collection of 1.3 million tons of these per annum. What's that? What's that? I mean, get, give me something in the sense of dollar terms people can match on to. Well, 1.3 million tons, take out the moisture when you process it, um, and we can turn it into between $500 and $1,000 per ton, depending on how far we process it. Okay. okay so that's the first one. Um, we'll soon announce what the economics are like on the onshore processing. But between the collection, the transportation and the processing, there'll still be a healthy margin left at this tiny scale. Because our goal isn't to collect 1.3 billion tons a year, it's to collect more like 12, 13 million tons on the Nori D block. So the idea of getting a partner in at the asset level is to make sure, we've also told the market that we will take some more money in before production, but we'll do it, aim to do it at the asset level. And of course, there are many people who like that idea because the Nori area has been ranked the world's largest undeveloped nickel projects. We've got over 860 million tons of polymetallic nodules sitting there at 3.2% nickel equivalent. So it's a very large abundant resource. And we're talking about first production, end of 2024. We haven't changed our guidance there. Okay. So that's like the end of next year. Yep. And the good news is, um, We've got a production vessel, we've announced where we're going to process them, and so all of the pieces are there. Now, there is speculation that what about the regulations, of course, because the, 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 the final missing piece of this jigsaw, as I mentioned earlier, is the mining code. And that's on track to be in place by the end of this year. Uh, for those that follow the story, you'll also know that we lodged something, or not we, but Nauru lodged the two-year notice, which was in July 2021, which basically meant that after July 2023, we would be able to lodge our plan of work, our application, whether the regulations had been finalized or not. Okay, so that's 30 months away. Lodge it with the... With the regulator, with the International Seabed Authority. Okay, and what do they do with it? They assess it. They had a legal and technical from scratch, or have they already done it both of the process? Well, they had been guiding us through this process. Like that. Um, when we went and did our pilot collector trials last year, 
we had to submit a uh, EIS for that, um, which they had to review and comment on. And they provide guidelines, as does the uh, as does the International Seagull Authority, the Exploration Code, mm. that guide us as far as what we need to do when we prepare an application to move from the exploration phase to the exploitation phase. So that's what we're busy doing now. Okay, so end of 2024, I'd pick up, start up my seat at that point. Mm. What's going to stop you? I can't see anything stopping us. Right, to be honest with that, I can't see anything selfiness. And you're right, that time is a great destroyer of value. And we've been very cognizant of that. And I, I if I go back into, you know, the last few years of the progress we've made since you and I first talked, you know, when COVID hit, we just raised money. We decided to use that the challenge that COVID represented to really fast track because we were operating offshore. So we created cells. We didn't have a single COVID incident in 2020 or 21. We ran four campaigns, and these campaigns run for between six and eight weeks at a time mm -hmm. on our license area. Takes four and a half days to get there by boat, by the way. Uh, in 2021, we ran five campaigns. So they were really busy, productive times. And um, you know we've really been able to fast track the development of that resource at times when many other resource developers had their hands tied. Okay, so coming back to the funding asset level, what does that look like in terms, in terms of numbers? And so how much money do you need? You've got 7 billion total capex, but you're coming at us in a phased approach. Mm. So what do the next well, years look like? 7 billion capex was what the PEA said. Right. What we've been able to show the market is how we can get into business with no capex, and our job is to keep that going. Yeah, I can see us... Meaning what? Meaning that I can see how we can get through all of our onshore expectations without having to spend capex on the Nori D area for the for the pyrometallurgical part of the process. So who is spending that money? What does it cost you? Nothing's for free, Mike. Nothing's for free, but it's it's about you know moments in time. It's about the fact that Indonesia has decided. <laughs> that they won't allow the export of their nickel laterite oil. So if you've got a RKF that's been processing nickel laterite and it's not based in Indonesia, what are you going to do with it? You want to fill it. You've either got to decommission it or work with us. Now, we obviously are dealing with our friends in Japan today. We're talking to other people as well. We, we see many opportunities where we can continue to be capital efficient. But the reason why we're working at the asset level is because the NPV of Nori D today is in excess of $14 billion. We, don't, we told the market we need between another 100 and $150 million to get to the other side of first production. Mm -hmm. We reported a few weeks ago, um, we'll report again in uh, middle of May, you know, we have no going concern qualifications, which means that we have at least another 12 months yeah. runway in front of us. Um, one of our leading shareholders, All Seas, also just put in a, a um, uh, unsecured line of credit for $25 million. And that was really just to give me a little bit more runway as we negotiate with some of these strategics at the asset level. So they see significant traction there from the parties that are sat around the table. And, um, and, and what we can do for those parties at the asset level, because we don't need a, I don't need $150 million tomorrow, 
you know, it's between now and first production. And so I need it over the next couple of years, that'd be the working capital. And so we can build it around milestones. You know, one of the milestones, of course, was showing that the offshore collector system worked, tick. Next will be the adoption of the regulatory code. And, you know, we expect that's imminent. And then finally, it will be the uh, issuance of the okay. So, so, so I, need, I need to come and start using some phrase that people perhaps more use the conventional mining terms. My understand. So, in terms of the um, the IRR, mm-hmm. um, given us a phased approach and subject to milestones, I guess it's going to it's a little bit wonky. But how 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 quickly do you get into production? How quickly does it ramp up? Because it's going to be based on yeah, any unit can do so much at any one time. Yeah, they'll need to presumably have multiple boats, units working at any one time to kind of maximize the kind of the, the scale of the opportunity here. So this, there's, a, there's a kind of cost out, but for the 100, 150 million to now, mm-hmm. first production, whatever that ramp up looks like, mm-hmm. can you say to people, well, that we are gonna be able to be cash flow positive or and free cash flow by whatever it is, and what's the expectation of the return on that capital invested? Well, we haven't released those numbers to the market, right? But what I'm very confident about is that even at that small scale, for pro, we call it Project Zero, there'll be the production profile that the hidden gem and can accommodate. Even at that very small um, production profile, will be EBITDA positives, and. If you think about that from an IRR perspective, that number's going to be through the roof because we're not having to go and deploy hundreds of millions of dollars of capital to make it happen. Mm-hmm. We'll be tolling the modules with our partner mm-hmm. and we'll be paying for all Cs to operate that production vessel on a shared risk basis. And so it doesn't mean that we've got to go and buy a boat. All Cs already own that boat. But, that, and that, but that's, that's kind of unit one thinking for you. Okay. So, Maybe it won't be a perfect example of how you move forward and how you grow uh, and you scale. But the starter pack there, which is what you know, using other people's balance sheets, other people's assets, unlimited skills, and redundant um, infrastructure. Great. How do you go forward? Do you get? Well, you don't own boats, but do you lease boats? Do you still continue to part with? No, we um, led long-term contracts. You know, two partners like all seized for yeah. boats on the work. Right, was that? Same as airplanes. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. And if you look at recently uh, Transocean, who have, I don't know, 20 of those drill ships, they recently just invested in one of the other contractors who also have a license area. And part of the deal was that they uh, vended in one of their drill ships, Samsung 10,000, the same as the hidden gem. Right, on the tree. Okay, I loved it when you, when you can yeah. share that because we, we look at. Um, uh, on the own gas side, but yeah, yeah, um, and how those metrics work. And, and as I said, we think we can get good scale of that one point three, just to let you know how the economics work. Yeah, that boat engineered with a bigger riser and a wider collector, we are confident can do an excessive 2.5, 2.6 million tons. So that's double the production. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's double the production. Yeah, but pretty well with the, with the same cost. So that means okay. your per ton cost of collecting. Could yeah, be cut out some half almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Understood. Okay. So, um, well, crikey. So that's that's that's, that's imminent. I think that's that's the exciting bit of this conversation for me. Mm. You'll see, because 
went to never all here on waffle promises um and um be able to show the economics so when do we actually get to see some sort of sense or, or announcement from me about the economics well in the second half of this year yeah and go yeah yeah at end of this year by the end of this year we'll have um people will have you know numbers i mean you can see the economics of the at scale model yeah and at the at scale model you know we showed even down margin of you know in excess of 65 percent so room for error it sounds like that's right and room to also give up a little bit of margin okay in place with the cat is really okay i really enjoy that catch up um thanks for coming over are those and you're gonna skip back to the conference to see what 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 the hell story i am you pick up that cfl and um yeah repeat tomorrow go on uh, <laughs> check the future